Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 299. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 299 you are listening to. My guest today is Audrey Martinovich, who is the co-owner of Audio for the Arts located in Madison, Wisconsin. Audrey is a producer and engineer, and she specializes in acoustic music, sound design, and podcast production. She's a contributor to production expert, and she's also a member of AES and Sound Girls. I'm very excited to have her on today. Audrey Martinovich, coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about professional jealousy. Now, what do I mean by professional jealousy? Well, I'm referring to the jealousy or envy one feels when you see someone in the same field as you being celebrated in articles, winning awards or getting gigs, basically getting a light shine on their accomplishments. And of course, in our case, we're talking about audio. The question is why? Why are you jealous? Maybe you're older and you haven't had much recognition, or maybe you're young and impatient. Uh, You could be insecure or lack confidence. That's, you know, that's always possible. Maybe you've worked hard, but no one has noticed. And maybe you're really good at what you do. You've done all the right things, but the projects you work on never get noticed. You know, fans break up, movies don't get made. So those are a handful of the possibilities why you might be jealous. But uh, what do you do with that jealousy? Huh? Where do you place that energy? Do you sit around? Do you say, oh, poor me. That person's getting all the attention, poor me. Uh, Maybe you sit around and complain about whatever. Maybe you talk shit about that person who you're jealous of. Ah, their work's not that good. Or maybe you take it out on those around you with a horrible attitude. Maybe you're so bothered by it and consumed by it, you're just kind of an asshole to be around. Well, those are not constructive ways to deal with it. You know it, I know it. So what are you gonna do with those feelings? How are you gonna channel that energy? Well, first thing you need to do is you need to shift your mindset about the whole concept. Other people receive accolades for various reasons. They work hard, they sacrifice, they plan, they focus. They don't worry about what other people think. And yeah, sometimes there's luck and sometimes there's some serious talent. And yes, sometimes there is no talent. You got to get over it. It happens, right? Jealousy is natural, but instead of letting it consume you with negative feelings, use it as an opportunity to learn, to be inspired out of complacency, to retool your process. Look, I know I get complacent and it takes seeing a peer doing good work to kick my ass. I observe how they're doing things and I, and I cherry pick their ideas or my favorite parts of their ideas and I retool them for my own purposes. It's just like in mixing videos. How many of you watch your favorite engineer do something and you try to emulate that? How many templates of other people have you downloaded from, you know, Pure Mix or Mix with the Masters? You know, while copying an idea is fine, maybe try to adapt their ideas to your way of thinking and working and come up with new takes on their idea. However you do it, just as long as it spurs you on to try new things. The professional jealousy should not consume you negatively. It should inspire you to do better. It should get you to reevaluate your methods, to ask yourself, are you doing enough? And kick your ass into gear 
I think we all need that from time to time. The success of other people is nothing against you. So don't take it personally. People are out there working hard and maybe you are too, but maybe you're, you need to change a few things. If attention is what you want or accolades, you know, whatever it is, Grammys, Tonys, whatever awards are out there, they don't give out participation trophies. The only trophy you get is a credit. And whether you receive an award or not, you're still gonna kick ass. You have to, right? So to conclude, once again, don't let jealousy of others' accomplishments consume you. It's pointless. If you have some talent to offer this world, focus on doing that thing the best you know how. With any luck, someone will recognize that. If you want to orchestrate some PR for yourself, well, that's, that's your choice and you are more than welcome to do that. There's no harm in doing that. People do that all the time. But make sure you have the work to back it up and make sure you have something inspirational to share with others in the process so your actions can inspire others. That's my rant. Thanks for listening. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So 
head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we could sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. That's it. Let's get to it. On to Madison, Wisconsin with Audrey Martinovich here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Audrey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. I'm excited. As we were getting set up, you were saying it's the first Wednesday of the month in the Midwest, (laughs) and you were set up in your live room as opposed to your control room because there's going to be... Always the first Wednesday is when we test the tornado sirens in the Midwest. So first Wednesday of the month, got to have those sirens going. (laughs) Yeah, they do something similar in San Francisco, but I haven't lived in San Francisco in many years, and I can't remember what day of the month and if that was for an air raid siren from World War II era or if it was for earthquakes or I don't know what it was for. I don't even remember. Well, you got to test the World War II sirens regularly to make sure they still work. That's right. You're talking to us from your studio located where? In downtown Madison, Wisconsin. So we are just a couple of blocks east of the main Capitol building, if anyone's familiar with the area. And this is audio for the arts, right? Yeah. So we are a studio that specializes in acoustic music. So we get a lot of classical, a lot of jazz, singer-songwriter, bluegrass, all sorts of acoustic instrument stuff. It's pretty fun. And I think it it sets us apart from the other studios in town who tend to focus more on rock, hip-hop, or just live sound. How long has the studio been in that location and been operating under that premise? So we were founded about 22 years ago. I have not been here that long. I've been here for about eight years. And we originally were right on the Capitol Square, moved just a couple of blocks east back in 2000. So we've been in this location, which is bigger than our previous one, for the last 20 years. I think we might be looking to upgrade to a a bigger spot, although COVID has kind of made real estate hunting a little tricky. So we're still hunkered down in our, our little spot here. Is it a nonprofit? No, we do work with a lot of nonprofit groups in Madison. So mm-hmm. there's the Madison Symphony Orchestra, a lot of choral groups. The Freedom From Religion Foundation is another one of our clients. So we do work with a lot of these people who get endowments and grants and, and that kind of thing. So we have systems in place for those people. But then we also work with a lot of students who come in and need to record auditions for school or for grants or whatever. We work with professional musicians, too. Last September, we had Chuck Lavelle of the Rolling Stones in here to record some stuff. And we've done work with Comedy Central. So we have this kind of weird market that's just like not rock and hip hop, although we do a little bit of that too. But it's kind of the acoustic and everything else and remote recording services. So we're one of the only studios in town that does on location stuff in addition to in studio. What's your current role? So I am one of the owners, one of two, and my business partner is Buzz Kemper. He's the one who founded the studio. And when I originally started here about eight years ago, I was an unpaid intern. And my first job was to go through a sound effects hard drive where all of the audio files were labeled like audio one, audio two, and audition all of these and label them in a specific way, you know, like explosion, medium with 
glass debris and kind of do some of that stuff. Eventually, I started working as the office manager and I went to school for entertainment and media business. So I have a background in financial accounting and marketing and that kind of stuff. And so the studio had not really had many of those kind of mechanisms in place before I started. Mm. So that was another part of the hats that I wore was intern, doing a little bit of engineering, trying to learn, but then also the office management and scheduling and that kind of stuff. So I I learned a lot just about interacting with clients through that kind of role. Like a lot of people will call and not have any idea how long it takes to record three songs. You know, oh, we'll do three songs in 45 minutes or we'll do our whole set in a day or whatever it is. So I, I learned a lot about just the time management and that kind of thing in that role. And eventually I started doing mostly on-site recordings for orchestras and choirs in the area. And even, I guess, traveling, (laughs) I would travel a couple hours sometimes too. So I'd start there and then eventually began engineering like 20, 30 hours a week. And eventually that has just moved into this ownership role. And now I'm one of the chief engineers and I pretty much only engineer now. I don't really handle the office stuff anymore. We got a guy for that now. Where did you grow up? I was born in outside of Portland, Oregon moved to Iowa, then to New Hampshire, then back to Iowa, and then up to Wisconsin, which is where I've spent most of my formative years, teenage years and everything was in Wisconsin. Didn't really have a lot of musical people in my family. My dad had an acoustic guitar that he would pull out every once in a while, but most of my family was pretty hands off the music stuff. I, in school, would enroll in choir and everything and just fell in love that way. I'd listen to even just the Spice Girls a lot when I was, you know, (laughs) 10, 11 years old. And I remember listening and hearing where they were breathing. And that was one of the first spots that kind of clicked, like how breathing is tied to singing and all of that. So I started taking singing lessons as a classical opera singer. That was like the first kind of step into the music world. I would record my own lessons and fell in love with that instead of singing. So I do still like sing back up on some of my clients' projects. But once I kind of started figuring out microphones, I was hooked and decided to go to school for it right then and prefer being on the other side of the microphone. Where did you go to school? Where'd you go to college? I went to Madison Media Institute, which was a school here in Madison that has unfortunately closed down now. But after I graduated, I actually taught there for a little bit right before they closed off. So it was cool to get that kind of teaching experience and have access to all of the gear that they had. It was really my first entrance into a studio before I started going to school. I hadn't really used a Mac, let alone done any kind of multi-track recording. So that was really vital for me to go to school for that. When did audio become something that you thought you could make a living at? That's a really good question. I wasn't ever really sure that I was going to make a living at it. It just kind of happened, which I suppose maybe is pretty lucky. But I initially thought that my career path was going to be in teaching music. I love teaching and I love music. I know that teachers don't make a lot of money, but at least they're not out on the street. So that was kind of my original direction. And Just through doing live sound for friends and through the internship at the studio, I kind of connected the dots. There is work and there can be money. And I'd say I started actually paying my bills all of the time with audio probably like four years ago. I didn't have to have any other kind of second job or anything at that point. 
And leading up to that, were you doing other jobs to supplement your income? Yeah. So I I had a lot of retail experience. I was doing that through school. So I would go and work selling makeup and selling shoes and all of that fun stuff. So you deal with some really awesome people. You learn a lot of patience working retail, (laughs) which I think helps in the studio. I'll sit here happily taking 30 takes of the same two measures because I've dealt with worse in retail. It's not that big of a deal. So I would work from maybe 9 a.m. to 4.30 and then have class from 5.30 to 10.30. And then I would stay at school until the building closed at like midnight or 1 a.m. because I didn't have access to gear at home and I wanted to learn. So I, I would stay there and do that. For a while, I also did surveying for a, a research company that was trying to get feedback from people who participated in this school program to become a nurse. So I had this questionnaire. I would track these people down and have them fill out the questionnaire and then go to the studio and hook up to the Wi-Fi, upload that data, and then work on some other stuff on the side here. So there's always kind of been this blend. But yeah, up until about four years ago, there was always some kind of side hustle going on. Well, one. Once audio became the predominant thing in your life, who is inspiring you? Whose work inspired you? Were there any mentors? What other human beings were driving your inspiration? Well, immediately the two main mentors I had were Buzz Kemper and Steve Gotcher, who were the owners of the studio when I first started. So Buzz was the technical director for Prairie Home Companion when they went to a national level show. So his radio experience, plus he'd worked with the Minneapolis Symphony Orchestra a lot, that kind of experience I really latched onto and I wanted to learn how to do all of that stuff. I, I have this classical singing background and now I was getting this audio knowledge and I thought that was a really great way to marry those two things. And Steve had more of a a radio background and that's actually where he is now. He is at Wisconsin Public Radio. So when he left, I filled his role at the studio and he really trained me on dialogue editing, radio production in general, how to do all of this crazy patching like today when we connected, how I have my station set up in my room, everything recording in the other room. I could patch in a laptop. All all of that kind of stuff he he really solidified for me. As far as mentors or people I look up to who I didn't know personally at the time, who I've actually, some of them I've had the great pleasure of meeting now would include Sylvia Massey. Mm. I learned about her in school and was just instantly like this curiosity was ignited on all of these possibilities that I had never really encountered with audio up until that point. It was very plug it in and go, but she always has this really creative approach to just even the location we're recording in or where microphones are placed or putting a singer on a chair to make them stand up and get them out of their comfort zone and and that kind of stuff I was really intrigued by. I actually went to mix with the masters in France and was lucky enough to spend 10 days with her working in the studio there. So that was definitely a really incredible experience for for me. She's super inspiring. Leslie Ann Jones is another character that I really... uh, feel like I can see my path in a little bit. Like she has this acoustic background and sound design background. And I have primarily that same kind of acoustic background. And I do a little bit of sound design post-production. So seeing her path has really shined a light on, oh, these are some potential ways that my career could go as well. That's interesting. This being episode 299, the previous episode 298 with Nathan Smith, Nathan also cited Sylvia Massey as a huge influence. Yeah, I listened to that and yeah, I thought I thought he was spot on. Like she she is just incredible and 
when I went to mix with the masters, we ran guitar solos through cheese and the cheese melts and you can eat the cheese after. And it's awesome. And I just don't know that there's another person on the planet who would think to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Sylvia is absolutely unique on so many levels and definitely very inspirational. So I'm, I'm glad mm -hmm. to hear yet another person bring her up because she is inspirational. Agreed. So I want to talk a little bit about coming into audio for the arts and then not having the mechanisms in place for certain things from a studio organizational perspective, a bookkeeping yeah. perspective. Can we dive into that a little bit? Can you tell me about what you observed when you got there and what you implemented? Yeah. So when I first got here, there's QuickBooks and we had a list of people who were current clients and some who were in the past. And as you scroll through, there would be balances that were maybe accurate or maybe not so accurate. So really, my first thing was to just go through and make sure that everything was listed correctly. Just I feel like if you don't accurately know what your income is or what your expenses are, you can't be a business. So that was really the first thing to do is just kind of get everything back to zero and try to understand the picture. And then to just look at years past and see what kind of categories are successful. So for us, that could mean we have editing, mixing, mastering, tracking. All of those are listed as different services. But then we also have CD sales because we will record for like Madison Youth Choirs and we'll have an arrangement where part of their payment to us because they're a, a nonprofit organization is keeping some of the profit from the CD sales that are displayed at their concerts and, and things like that. So we'll have that listed as a separate item. So looking at the past to try to figure out what the future could look like, where some potential areas for, for growth are, if we're doing a lot of recording, for instance, but not a lot of mixing, seeing like why are those projects going somewhere else to get mixed or you just kind of trying to look at the reason behind some of that stuff. That's really where I started. And then with with scheduling, just kind of knowing how many billable hours are in a day, what's realistic, do we need to hire more people? Do we need to staff us more around the clock so we're not trying to step on each other's toes and try to get more projects in and out? And or are we doing great and uh, we can all take a vacation, you know, that kind of thing too. That is really kind of the first task. And then on the other side of the coin, looking at expenses, are there any website subscribers? that we don't need anymore? Or should we get a subscription to Slate? Can we afford that? Or all of those kind of things too. And just try to start by making it at least a neutral, if not profitable business, and then kind of go into the marketing. And then you can kind of analyze like what's successful and what brings people in the door over and over again, hopefully. Did a lot of that knowledge come from your, your education? Yeah, I'd say that at least as far as the financial aspect of it, most of that did. Just listing debits and credits and how to actually use QuickBooks, that did. But a lot of the marketing and just kind of looking behind the numbers, my mom has a PhD in statistics from Harvard. And so she's always like, wow. since I was a little kid. Yeah, I know, right? I, I aced stats in high school and in college, but she was a good help for that. She's always seen a connection to real life in numbers and has reiterated that through my childhood, whether that's just remembering every single person's birthday that you meet, which she and I just have a knack for because it's a number. 
universe thing or just looking at cause and effect and knowing when something is actually cause and effect versus just a correlation thing and putting everything into context. So she was she was my mentor in that. What are the other things from a marketing perspective that you helped to implement there at Audio for the Arts? Just having like a social media presence. There wasn't really much of anything before me. We did have a website that was all right. It wasn't super functional. Like the phone number was not correct or there was an issue with it. It kind of worked like half the time. And sometimes it would randomly go to some person named Lisa. I don't know. So um, I, I don't know. I think it's it's funny that the things that creatives tend to not really worry about are the, some of the things that I tried to worry about intentionally so that I wouldn't have to worry about them later on. Like, I think that I knew when I started here that there would be an opportunity for growth, which is a really, I, I think, kind of a luxury. <laughs> Sometimes you don't really know, but I had this good feeling like we all got along really well. Our workflows interweaved really well. So I had in the back of my mind, like, okay, if I get these systems in place, eventually we'll be able to hire a secretary and I'll be able to engineer full time. We'll get to that point. So Anytime I'm looking at something, it's always with the the future in mind, even if it is some kind of crazy, impossible goal. What do you think freelancers should be paying attention to? Freelance audio professionals, no matter the audio discipline, what, what are the business things that they should think about, focus on? I think that they should focus on just actually like following up and having some kind of organized plan for how to deal with the things. So for me, I know my habit of if I have an email that is opened and has no longer looks unread, I will ignore that email. I'll forget about it. I just know that that happens with me too much. So my solution for that is I will just leave all of those emails unread until I actually have a chance to deal with it. Or I've got lists, I've got all sorts of stuff. So I think just knowing if you have a problem with following up with people, schedule a thing in your calendar so that you don't lose a gig because you didn't remember to call that person back to relay some kind of information or they, in the meantime, got another bid. I think that that is the other part that freelancers struggle with. I know at least it's something that I personally struggle with as a as a business owner is how much to charge for things. So we have a calculation where we know how much it is required that we make per hour to keep the lights on. And then from there, we kind of build up, okay, this person makes X amount per hour. And we've come up with a rate for in-studio and then a different rate for out-of-studio and just a structure. And it's not to say that it's like super firm, but it gives us a place to start. And then the job of creating the bid is less overwhelming. It's a little easier to tackle if you're like, all right, I know that this kind of thing usually costs about $200 worth of my time. I'll start there. They want all these different things. Maybe I'll say 400, go from there. And then I think freelancers should just not be afraid to, if there's a gig that they want to just try to make it happen. For me, I I don't know. I, I realize that a lot of these barriers can be put up just mentally. Like I've caught myself saying, oh, I shouldn't ask that person for that thing because 
of whatever reason, I'm embarrassed or because of whatever, but you don't get what you don't ask for. For example, I went to a CD release party for a band I worked with and saw that the opening band was also a band I'd worked with, but the third band was not someone I'd worked with. So I went up to them after the show and said, hey, I worked with these other two bands. When are you guys coming in the studio? And a month later, they were in. So you just have to not be afraid to go for it, but then be able to follow up and and have an approach that you think works for you, that you're comfortable with, but that also shows results and track those results. Where did your sense of confidence and organization come from? I think it's, well, I'm the oldest child. I think it's kind of funny that you say confidence because I definitely deal with imposter syndrome. I think a lot of people do, or at least I hope some other people do, (laughs) but it's one of those things where I, I just have to tell myself I am where I'm supposed to be. If I am planning a gig and I end up getting that gig and and we're about to do it and I'm nervous, but I wouldn't be there if I wasn't meant to be there. So I try to remember that and I, I, that helps me to be a little bit more sure in what I'm in what I'm doing. You definitely have a social media presence. You're in that full compass ad that shows up on the front of Pro mm-hmm. Sound News. I'm aware, oh, there's Audrey again. Oh, okay. Oh, she just commented on that thing I posted. Oh, okay, interesting. And so watching you from an online perspective, I got this sense of organization from you ahead of time. I got this sense of somebody who has some knowledge that could bring something to my audience. I knew it instinctively based on your presence. And so it's interesting to hear you talk about imposter syndrome, (laughs) but here you are really, really giving us some great info here. So I'm very appreciative of the things you're having to say so far. Thank you so much. So I know this is kind of a silly question and kind of micro at that. When we're looking at our expenses, like we're looking at the power bill and we're trying Mm -hmm. to factor in what it costs to do a gig, how are you factoring that in? Can you just talk to me like I'm a fifth grader? Yeah. So for me, it's kind of easier to zoom out for like power bills and stuff. So I kind of look at that as a like a monthly expense. So mm-hmm. I would make a list of all of those monthly things. So if you're a business, it's payroll taxes. If you're not, you should save some for payroll taxes so you don't get screwed every April. But it's all of those little things as just a list. And then you can make that one number. And when you have that one number, then you can look at your calendar and say, okay, how many hours is it realistic that the studio is making money? You can look at it from open to close, weekend hours, whatever. For us, it tends to be money-making hours like 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Usually someone can be here. I tend to take the morning shift. Noah's got the late shift. Buzz is kind of all over the place. So we stagger it that way. So once you know how many hours you can make, it's just division at that point. You take that number of your expenses and dollars and figure out, okay, if you were to break that up equally across all the hours you can work in a month, Mm -hmm. what is that number? And you should never work for less than that number. You should work for more than that because then you're making a profit, but at least you're even. So it's just money, money in, money out. You got to look at, yeah, I guess. So once you've got that kind of number figured out at that point, you can factor in, okay, how much money do you want to make? Do you want to make an hourly rate? Do you want to make 500 bucks a week? Whatever it is. And that's the thing is I think people don't understand is you can kind of decide that a little bit to yourself. Realistically, it's going to bend depending on how much income you're actually getting. But if you start with $15 an hour, $20 an hour, something, add that to that first number and then you've got a different hourly rate. And then you could figure it out from there. 
And then it's just what kind of gigs can get you that hourly rate that you need to make. Can you get by with just doing a day of one hour voiceovers or do you need to have albums coming in all the time or really big projects? And yeah, that that can guide your your workflow decisions a little bit. Mm-hmm. Are you on a salary? I am. Yeah. We have it set up to the point like we're not trying to be Walmart or anything. So me and Buzz are on salaried positions. Everyone else is hourly. We have three hourly employees. And if it's ever to the point where we don't make enough in a week, we pay all of our employees and expenses first. And then Buzz and I always personally take the hit if we don't make our cash flow goals or whatever, have to skip a payroll. That's just how we have it set up. Because like I said, we're trying to be fair. Like we know that if the business succeeds or it fails, it's, it's on us. And that should be reflected in our wallets, if that makes sense. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. From a marketing perspective back on that, Mm-hmm. What do you think is an effective way for studios to be marketing themselves with today's social media possibilities? That's really interesting. I think it might be better for the engineers at the studio to market themselves rather than a studio marketing itself. And the reason I think that is because when someone decides to do a recording project, they pick a person to work with. And even if you look at it from just how social media algorithms work, a post from a person goes a lot further than a post from a page. So I think it's important to still have relevant photos, blogs, some kind of SEO friendly stuff on your studio page. But I tend to take, and this is probably why you see more of my personal marketing stuff than my studio's marketing stuff, is because we each kind of market our own selves. And then as a byproduct, the studio is also marketed in that process. Hmm. So people will, they'll reach out to the studio to book things for sure. But, you know, I get tons of messages on Facebook or Instagram just from people that I'm trying to interact with as a person to book. Interesting. And do you treat all of the avenues of social media in the same way? In other words, 
you know, I mean, I think I struggle with this because, you know, I look at LinkedIn as kind of my main avenue these days. And reason being is because Facebook just became a shit show of <laughs> political fights. And, yeah. I, and I didn't feel necessarily always as comfortable promoting my professional ventures on my personal Facebook page. So For sure. tell me a little bit about your perspective of those things. So I have my LinkedIn, which tends to be a lot of, I guess, more like corporate e-promotional stuff. So articles I've written for Production Expert, I'll, I'll put up there a lot. Headshots from Full Compass and their ads, things like that kind of get more LinkedIn I do a lot of pictures in the studio and time-lapse videos for setting up gigs and things like that. And that tends to go more on Instagram, which I have set up to cross-post to Facebook because I'm lazy. So the real image-based stuff, like the control surface looking all sexy, vintage microphone setup, that's more Instagram. And then on Facebook, I do a lot more personal interacting with people on Facebook, I think, than other platforms. And that is, I think, just because I tend to be friends with the people I work with. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of the, the people from the Madison Symphony Orchestra on my friends list and a lot of conductors and composers, singer-songwriters, just those people. And Facebook allows a more kind of personal connection, which I think is good for business, but it's also just legitimately enjoy it. And it's more successful to build a relationship with someone rather than to friend request them and send them a link to your SoundCloud right away. I'll add somebody I want to work with, but then not talk to them right away <laughs> um, or just comment a genuine like whatever on on a post that pops up. You share a picture of your dog. Oh, cute dog. What's his name? You know, some actual effort. Mm -hmm. And that that is what is going to see a return. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. That makes sense. So Madison seems to, everything you've said makes me think that it's a vibrant scene. Would you agree? I would, yeah. I think it's in this kind of moment of change, too. I mean, perhaps the whole world is, but the music scene right now is. There's a lot of musicians who are connecting right now in just ways that I haven't really seen before. And I think that that is a byproduct of COVID. But yeah, it's just the, the community is still trying to find a way to, to build and connect even more so now that we can't. It's, it's interesting to watch. How do you think COVID is, what are your observations of the changes that it's causing on the positive side? So at first we were so freaked out. I mean, like everybody, mm. if you're not familiar, the acoustic music scene, there's the spring concert season and a winter concert season. So in March, we were queued up for concert recordings every weekend of May and June and sometimes like three concerts a night. So our whole staff was going to be working. And then that whole concert season was canceled and now the winter concert season has canceled. So at first we were in this panic of what are we going to do? And then we started seeing all of these musicians collaborate in these different ways. So a small group of the symphony players all decided to get together for outdoor rehearsals outside next to this lake. Well, we actually have, we're a city in between two lakes. So you've got your choice of lake shore to rehearse on. But this group started rehearsing outside of the botanical gardens here. And that was just really beautiful. A chamber group spaced super far apart, but 
with this backdrop of lake and all these beautiful flowers. So that that was really cool. And there's been a lot more video projects going where musicians will record themselves playing a part to something, send it to the next musician who will do an overdub from their house and on down the line. And then it'll end up at our studio to balance and do color correction and that kind of stuff on the video. So we've pivoted to doing some more video projects, but it's it's been interesting to see that like classical musicians who are so used to playing in a room together, how they're dealing with being not only in a separate room, but in a separate building and how they could still try to make something artistic together. We did a project for the Madison Opera. Mm-hmm. They had an outdoor event that had to be canceled and so all of these musicians from like across New York and they made this really beautiful broadcast from piecemealed from all of these different people. So uh, it's, it's been great to see how people even play to the camera, adding that whole element. There's a little bit more theater in the life now. And has Audio for the Arts been greatly affected by COVID? I was worried we were going to be, but honestly, we've been all right. We were really worried when that whole concert season was canceled. But with all of these long distance recording projects, everybody's wanting to do live streaming now. We have a few Jewish synagogues in town who have their holiest of days coming up in September and they need to do live streaming. So being that we are not Jewish, we can work on these holidays and can help them out. So it's presenting different challenges and different Mm. opportunities in in that way, too. So not necessarily squarely in music, but now in live streaming of just events and helping people connect long distance is kind of our hat we're wearing now. Yeah. Uh Let's talk about the weather a bit. It seems like in Madison, you've got about one, two, three, four, five, about seven months a year of snow. Is that? Yeah. is, Is that about right? January, February, March, and then it slows down a bit in April, and then it starts to pick up in October, and then, of course, November and December. Mm -hmm. How does the weather affect your planning of things? How does it affect gigs? What are your thoughts on that? It would mostly affect our off-site recording that we typically do for the winter concert season where there's a lot of travel. I also, just personally, I live about an hour away from the studio. So I kind of have to have that work-life balance as a physical barrier. So I do have to have plans for in case I can't get to work or if school well, in the, in the usual days, if school was canceled and my son couldn't go to school, then I'd have to be able to work from home with him or reschedule stuff or, mm. or whatever. But it's mostly with travel that things like that tend to be an issue. Otherwise, we're pretty unaffected by what the climate is. Wow, you live an hour away. That's that's a a bit of a commute. It is, but it's worth it. It's a really pretty drive. I like the time to, I I, I get so much done. I can listen to podcasts. I listen to my mixes in the car if I need to do some critical listening there just to make sure things are translating. But the reason I say it's worth it is because my husband and I bought a church. So being that it's this really cool structure that we're renovating into a house, it's all right for the drive. Wow. Okay, we'll have to, we'll dive into that. (laughs) Do you have an audio setup at home that you rely on? I don't, although that is going to be changing. We literally just got internet for the church yesterday. So we moved in September 1st last year, and now September, we we finally have internet there now. It took a while to get everything built. So that has kind of prevented having a, a setup at home other than just email-y kind of stuff on my phone's internet. But 
I will have a little something. I did a few impulse response recordings before we first moved in and started doing construction just so that if I did ever want to record with the sound of the church, I could have it in my IR plugin, sort of. But we might do some recording, but I'm, I have no like firm plans. Otherwise, I tend to just become all work all the time, 100% if I don't force myself to take a break at home. Okay. I might have a few follow-up questions there. What constitutes success to you for yourself? For me, I feel like I'm successful if an opportunity came up to me that I jumped on even if I was scared or nervous too. And no matter kind of how it turns out, hopefully it turns out for the better and I get another gig because of it and it's great. That's like the ideal version of success. But I wouldn't consider myself a failure if the gig didn't go as planned. I would think, oh, all right, here's what I need to do next time that opportunity comes up. You know, I try not to get too pessimistic about it. Oh, well, and, and on that note, how do you handle failures? Internally, um, I, I tend to <laughs> kind of think about things from all sorts of perspectives, like how how did something go wrong? Why did it go wrong? Was there anything I could do or was it just because we were planning an outdoor show and then rain happened and there was that's 100% out of my control? But if it is something that I can learn from, you know, you never make a horrible mistake twice. You just always learn. And sometimes if it's a bad enough mistake, you only need to do it the once and you're scarred for life. And I try to internalize what needs to change rather than beating myself up about stuff that I couldn't do well mm. at the time. Do you ever get burned out on audio? Yeah, sometimes. It's usually if I'm working a crazy amount and I find that the burnout mostly just comes from being around people a lot in a day. I kind of am one of those people who can recharge just by going home and hiding under blankets for a little bit and then come out and I'm all fresh. So if I'm working with a band in a studio for a whole week, by the end of the week, I'm definitely burnt out and ready to just chill for a minute. Yeah. Are you an introvert? I think I'm like an extroverted introvert. <laughs> like if that's a thing, because I ha am recharged by being away from people, but I also don't mind being around people. Like I'm, I'm happy to be someone in a party who's going up to other people and, and talking to them, even if I in my insides, I'm like, don't talk to me. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about gear, if you don't mind. What's important in the gear that you use? Reliability. Yeah, if I have a microphone that's got like a wiggly XLR connector or something, I just won't even chance it and put it out on a stand. <laughs> you know, it's it, everything has to work as I expect it to when I expect it to. And I guess ease of use is, is a factor just because if it's easy to use, it'll get used. I guess Pro Tools for one thing is a piece of gear, if you can call it a piece of gear that I, I use all the time. And the reason is just because having something that I know is going to communicate well with other people that we're all going to have the same kind of formats that all agree no extra paper cuts or barriers can be introduced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> extra paper cuts. <laughs> it's not like a thing that's going to kill you, but it's enough to annoy you and make you go, oh man, okay, well, let's do this way instead. It's enough. Are those also reasons that would make you to decide to buy a piece of gear or are there other factors that would make you want to buy a piece of gear? Obviously the sound is going to be a really big factor too, but yeah, if I mean, I'm not going to buy something that is 
unreliable or is going to work intermittently. And I don't I don't think anybody should. I'm trying to even think of like, what is a piece of gear that would be designed to work? Because I hate talking in, in absolutes, like never buy something. But yeah, if there's something unreliable about it, then don't buy it. I had a board that we purchased for a client that for it to work, I needed to be able to switch between my main monitor faders, my send faders, and then DAW control. And switching between those three things too quickly kind of made the board spaz out a little bit. Like it kind of couldn't compute fast enough. And just because of that, I was like, nope, okay, we're going to figure out something else because I don't want this to go wrong during a live taping or anything. So we'll, we'll get something else in here. That's funny how, you know, bells and whistles and, and complex pieces of gear, like on the surface or on paper, it looks good. But when mm-hmm. it comes down to doing a high pressure gig, you're like, just let's dumb it down and make it work. Exactly. Exactly. Do you have to exercise restraint when it comes to buying gear? Not really. I mean, I definitely have some things and I'm like, oh, okay, if I had a spare $3,000 or 4000 or whatever it is. But we are right now as a studio saving up for our next big kind of upgrade. So we will be needing to buy a computer, a new interface probably, and just upgrade all of the software with that. So we tend to do these big studio upgrades every maybe four or five years, Mm -hmm. just when OSs and stuff start not working as well together. We tend to just save money for that. I am a little bit of a sucker for microphones, but (laughs) I mean, who isn't? So Uh, um, (laughs) Who isn't a sucker for microphones? Right. You know, sometimes I do have to be like, okay, I already have something that would do this job that's been doing it really well for me that I like. I just want this thing because it's kind of cool or whatever it is. I have to, I guess maybe a little bit of restraint there, but it's not so much where I'm like having to duct tape myself to a chair to avoid going to, you know, full (laughs) compass or whatever. Not having to freeze your wallet in a block of ice in the... uh... Exactly. It it helps though, because we we have this goal of upgrading the studio. So when you have that goal and you've got this, uh, again, I'm always like goals and numbers. So if you've got that goal and you know how much you need to save, then it's a little easier to not spend the money on something else. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but in the future, I'm really trying to figure out how I can shrink and have the smallest setup and most portable setup and most Mm -hmm. portable, powerful, small, all that business. It's a challenge because I'm going to have to shed some microphones to do that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think those are probably like some of the last things I would sell. I mean, yeah, I can't even, I probably have rack gear that I would sell before any of the microphones. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm with you there. Let's talk a little bit back on the money thing. What's your financial advice to others in audio? I know we kind of touched on some of those aspects, but what advice would you give to somebody new or old in, in the world of audio? I would say to not count on the money from a gig until you have that money. Perhaps earlier in my, in my life, I will have had the thought like, oh, I'm about to get paid $600 or whatever. I have this wiggle room with my budget when that could fall through and then you don't have really much of a safety net. So I think just whether it's in audio or just in personal finances, it's good to not count on that money until you see it actually hit your bank account. You can use it to project like future stuff, absolutely incorporate that and have it in your cash flow goals. But Don't set your business up to fail or succeed based on one check that is going to come in or maybe it won't or it'll get lost in the mail or it's a corporation and they're on a net 60 
and you didn't realize that, you know, just kind of making sure that the timing works out. Are you a saver or a spender? I am a former spender and now a saver. Yeah, I was very, I suppose, careless with money when I was just out of high school. I moved out, had a job. I was like, I don't need to have any extra money in my bank account. I have until my payday to spend the money in my bank account. You know, <laughs> and it was like a, a goal, like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, I can do that. And that is just not setting yourself up for success or safety or for having food. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to confess to something a little funny for a 50-year-old. My kids turned me on to this game called Clash of Clans, and I have been playing it, and... It's funny how developing your resources in that game and stockpiling money or gold pieces Mm -hmm. and the other things that you need to do to prepare in that game, it's so strange how it's almost an educational tool for those that might be financially challenged. There's some lessons to be learned from games like that. So if you're a listener and you're struggling, go play Clash of Clans and check that out and then try to realize how that really is just a video game version of, of real life in some ways, not in every way. Nice. (laughs) It's a little more brutal and and medieval than real life. (laughs) Do you foresee officially retiring in the future? Mm, I will say yes, because that is what I would like to have happen. Perhaps. I mean, I assume I'll probably always work on audio in some capacity, even if it's just for fun, just recording. Maybe I'll learn an instrument or another instrument. I play ukulele and piano, but not super great. So maybe that'll change. Who knows? But I would like to be financially comfortable enough to get to the point where I can make that decision. So I will say that that is going to happen because if I say it, then it'll happen. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about life outside of audio. Do you have any hobbies? You just mentioned ukulele. And piano. What are your hobbies? I'm learning French right now. Hmm. I've been studying that for about two years. My grandpa spoke six languages, hmm. so I have a goal to one day speak three. I'll get half of the point he did. So yeah, I, I study a lot of French every night. I guess writing for Pro Tools Expert is a hobby. It's like also a work thing, but it it involves a lot of watching of YouTube videos and trying to keep up on some gear and industry stuff, which is a hobby as much as it is a work thing. Yeah, you and former WCA guest Sarah Carter are contributing to the Production Experts catalog. Yeah, and I met her at Mix with the Masters in France. We did that together too. So I saw her pop up in my podcast feed a while ago and was like, oh, Sarah, that's awesome. She's so awesome. Awesome. I love her. And what about health and exercise? I mean, I know it must be challenging in a place where you have that many months of snowfall. So you take that snowfall or those weather challenges and you couple them with what is traditionally a very sedentary lifestyle. How do you keep from becoming unhealthy? Actually, I have a Fitbit that I wear that buzzes at me if I don't get up every hour. Uh, So I have a goal of 250 steps an hour. Otherwise, I'll sit down and then I'll get up and it'll be eight hours later and not even, you know, really realize that that's happening. So that has really kind of just helped me to make sure I don't sit, crouch, stare, 
I also, I have my glasses, which I used to be a contacts wearer, but my eyes would just get super dried out by the end of a day. So the lenses in my glasses have blue light protection in them too. So I've hmm. noticed that my eyes just like, I, I have more stamina because my eyes aren't getting tired by the end of the day now. They're not feeling dry. Like I just have to close them for a bit. So the blue light lenses is awesome. I love it. Wow. <laughs> That's interesting. I have, in fact, I need to make the appointment. I just got a reminder from our optometrist that we need to go in and do our family round of checkups. I'm going to totally ask about that. Being a glasses wearer, huh? Blue light lenses. Did you notice a huge difference in that? It didn't really seem like right away, but then it was kind of one of those things I thought back on and I was like, oh yeah, I guess I I guess I'm here longer without getting a headache. I'm I'm kind of prone to migraines and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's usually for me, it's kind of tied with vision. So if I'm looking at two different light sources that are kind of just not jiving together, it can trigger some stuff. So for me, I noticed that I was just getting less headaches and my eyes just felt less dry at the end of the day. Hmm. We talked a little bit about work-life balance. So you purposely at this point in time don't necessarily have a recording setup at home. Mm Mm-hmm. But buying a church. I know. <laughs> you know, come on. That's why I'm like, I'm never going to say never. In all honesty, it's just a matter of time before I have some kind of eight channel thing set up just to have for fun. That's the other thing about the church, though, is that there are really big windows which are not the quietest. So it is not the best for exterior noise until we get those reinforced. But we did fur out the walls. So we put up all this framing and spray foam insulation and then double drywall on top of that. So the walls themselves are really thick, but it's where the windows, we we have a lot of noise issues there. So to be determined, but I'm I'm sure someday. (laughs) Is there any reason you would turn down work? Yeah, I would turn down work if it was, I mean, probably just the most basic level, like a scheduling conflict. Obviously, that's nice and easy no. But I would turn down something if I felt like I couldn't do a good job on it. I mean, I don't know. If someone come in, came in here really wanting to do some hip hop, like vocal recording, cool. I can record vocals, no problem. If they want me to do some really crazy, like editing and mixing and stuff, I just, it's not my genre that I work in the most. So I just know that if I were to get a result that they liked, that the amount of time it would take me to get there wouldn't really be worth it for me or for them. So, At that point, I would point them to, since we're one of the only studios in town with an acoustic focus, it's not hard for us to point to other studios even and say, hey, I know this dude over here who would be better at this project. Why don't you check in with him? We have a really non-competitive relationship with most of the studios in town. Yeah, that's not a problem for me to turn down some stuff if I don't feel like I would do it right. And how do you handle slowdowns in work? So I handle slowdowns by putting on my time to do other stuff hat. So for me, that's the time to reach out to people like crazy, either on on Facebook or emails or whatever. There is an awards show in town for it's the Madison Area Music Awards. And a couple of years ago, I actually went through the list of people who were nominated for things and messaged them if I liked their music and just tried to start a conversation with them. And that led to a really great relationship with a guy named Sam Ness, who I've done a couple albums for now, and he's a really good friend. So I try to use those slowdowns as ways to make new connections so that way there's work to that'll come back in. 
Do you have any particular, we'll call them productivity habits that you do throughout your day or to plan for your day? Do you have any, do you make to-do lists, anything like that? I make a lot of lists. <laughs> I have a list of stuff that I'll just need to do. So I'll just do a little bit of a brain dump, like, all right, I need to email this person back, call this person, send that mix, whatever. It's all written down. And then from there, I'll decide, okay, this stuff needs to happen today, this week, next week, whatever. And then once I've got those kind of separated into when they need to get done, then I just kind of compare with what time I have available. So if I have three hours of time and the studio's booked, then I know, okay, well, now I can make those phone calls that I need because I don't need the studio for that. Or something will take me six hours, but the studio is totally free. I will use that as production time because Buzz and I, we fight for the same rig. We have our main rig and then we have our rig back in our shared office or Studio B area. So if we're doing a lot of mixing, all of our nice plugins and everything is an A, but then in B, we can do like podcast editing, dialogue, that kind of stuff. So I'll look at the number of hours I think a thing will take, what is free based on a schedule, if it's Studio A, Studio B, or if I just need to be on a laptop and do emailing and then let that guide how I make my schedule. Well, we're about out of time. Is there anything I might have left out that you want to discuss? Yes, I would like to uh, mention, and I don't know that you normally get very political on this show, but I would just like to say and encourage everyone to go vote in November. It is so important. That is the thing I would like to say. And I couldn't agree more. Yes. Where can people find out more about you? Where's the ideal place to do Audrey research? You can find me on Instagram. It's at Audio Audrey. You can also look me up on Facebook, just Audrey Martinovich, common spelling. My studio website is audiofortheArts.com. So that's got a little bit more on the people who work here and just on our facilities in general. Thank you so much for making time for me today. It's great to finally meet you after seeing you on social media yeah. and having you pop up in magazines here and there and <laughs> reading your various articles on production experts. So I'm sure at some point in the future, at some audio event, we'll run into each other in person. I hope so. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, you take care. Yeah, you too. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Audrey Martinovich here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. I want to thank Anne-Marie Plo for her editing, Cliff Truesdale for the Working Class Audio theme song, and the magical voice of Mr. Chuck Smith. As always, connect with me on LinkedIn. Stop by workingclassaudio.com. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware... Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear. 
including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.